0: got a Bible with you, uh, get to the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 19 is where we're going to be this morning. We've been in the Gospel of Luke, I've been saying that for uh, since December of last year, and so hopefully you found the Gospel of Luke by now. Um, But well done, church, as far as making our way through chapters 9 through 19. We're going to pick it back up next spring and finish at Easter, Lord willing, on 2022, looking at the rest of uh, the book of Luke. My prayer as we have made our journey through this is that it, it has helped our growing understanding of who Jesus is, who Jesus of the Bible is, not who we project him to be, who he actually is, who we are seeking to be devoted to and growing in love and worship to. And so uh, I pray that that has been helpful for you. The, past, uh, the next couple Sundays then, 2 Peter, uh, the next Sunday and the following Sunday, we're going to be in 2 Peter 1 looking at a two-week series that we're going to call Make Every Effort. As we celebrate 18 years, as we begin a 19th year together, I believe it's a a good word for us to consider as we begin that next year together. And so we're going to be in 2 Peter 1. And then the following Sunday, September 12th, we're going to begin the Life in Community series. And so the books for that are available at Guest Connections starting today, whether you're in a group or not. We are encouraging every Crosspointer to, to get one, every husband and wife to get one. So no spouse rides the coattails of the spouse who does the homework. All spouses get a book. And so books are available for five bucks. We want you to get those. The study guide that, the, that nearly every community group is going to be going through is in the back of that book. And so that, that series starts September 12th. This is going to be a foundational series for us to, to be reminded of what the local church is, how the local church lives how the local church engages with one another as the family of God, as the body of Christ. And so we want you to get that resource. We want you to engage in a group. Uh, you can. Uh, there's an email going out tomorrow with the list of all the groups that are going to be happening. And so ways for you to connect and ways for you to say, yes, I want to be in a group. Help me get connected. And so do that. If you have any questions, shoot me an email, okay? Jesus Christ could return at any moment. Jesus Christ may not return in our lifetime. How do we live in that tension? Nearly 2,000 years ago, Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. He rolled back the stone, walked out of the tomb, was seen by hundreds of witnesses, later would ascend to heaven. One day he will return. It will be glorious, spectacular, leading to the greatest joy of his people and the greatest feelings of regret for those who have chosen to reject him in this life. So, where we are now, at this point in history, we are living between his resurrection and his return. We are living between the already and the not yet. The kingdom of God is here. The, the first coming of Jesus ushered in the kingdom. He is risen from the dead. He is the king of kings now. And yet, our world is not restored. Yet, we get that. Of all weeks, we see the brokenness and the fallen nature of the world, the evil that still exists, and how the stain of sin is still very much present. One glorious day, worldwide restoration will occur. All things will be made new, a new heavens and a new earth for those in Christ to enjoy forever. But we're not there yet. The kingdom of God is here now and will come in fullness in His return. We live between His resurrection and His return. So how do we live in the tension of how we are, that that He could return at any moment and yet may not return in our lifetime. Only the Sovereign Lord knows the details. And so we are not called to guess at the timing, but rather choose faithfulness in the watching and waiting for His return. And here in Luke 19, Jesus is going to encourage us in the posture and attitude of faithfulness, faithfulness in the watching and the waiting. Because in the waiting, We can get impatient, we can begin to doubt His goodness, we can wander and stray from our our walk with the Lord, we can stray toward an old creation way of life, we can grow fearful and our spiritual enemy loves to tempt us in the waiting. So I love that Jesus, our good shepherd, has a parable for us to hear today, to call us toward daily, moment by moment, faithfulness in Him. Remember the context of the section of Scripture. We started last December in Luke 9, verse 51, where it it says that Jesus set His face toward Jerusalem. And so these 10 chapters are a detailed account of that time that Jesus spent doing ministry prior to walking into Jerusalem, where He will end up being falsely accused, arrested, beaten, killed on a cross, We've been following along the road on the way to Jerusalem with Christ. In the city, Jerusalem is the center of Israel, the Jewish nation. If you want to overthrow the Roman occupation of your people, you go to Jerusalem. And at this point in the journey, Jesus and His disciples are in Jericho, which is about a six-hour walk into the city. So put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. They know Jesus is the Messiah the one sent to redeem people. They know he is the promised one that the Old Testament scriptures point to, the one sent to rescue in the way of Moses. Moses who led the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery, out of freedom from oppression. So they're thinking Jesus will do the same deliverance type of work. And they're thinking political kingdom, political freedom. But the mission of Jesus is eternal not political. He has come to set the captives free, the captives of sin. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. But the the disciples, as they get closer to Jerusalem, are wrongly thinking political, earthly kingdom. They have these expectations of what Jesus will do in Jerusalem, and, and none of them, even though he's prophesied to them that he will, none of them are thinking that he will die. And this is why it shocks them so much when He's crucified. They miss that before glory comes suffering and pain. They miss that the path toward truly setting the captives free begins with the death of the one and only Son of God who will pay for the sins of the captives. The disciples don't fully get it at this point in the journey and that they don't truly get that Jesus will die, let alone rise from the dead. See, there is no resurrection without first the cross. And yet to the disciples, neither the death or the rising of the Messiah are in their view as they approach the city. So they have these false expectations and Jesus needs to correct those and exhort them in a life of faithfulness following his ascension. He's teaching them, when I depart and I don't return right away to usher in the kingdom in its full glory, here is how I'm calling you to live in the waiting between the resurrection and the return. Verse 11 in chapter 19 in the CSB translation, as they were listening to this, he, Jesus, went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God was, was going to appear right away. This parable is similar to the one that Jesus taught in Matthew 25. There are, some different, there are more differences than similarities, so more than likely these are two separate parables, and yet some of the same truths that are taught by Jesus. And right here in the beginning, Jesus is saying, here's the point of the parable. You think the kingdom of God is going to appear right away, but it won't. So now I need, you to, te- now I need to teach you in how to live as you wait and as you watch. Even post-resurrection, Jesus in, in Acts 1, following his resurrection, the disciples are going to be asking him in verse 6, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom? To Israel at this time, is it going to happen right away, Lord? And he replies to them in verse 7. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. And then he says, but you will receive power as you wait, as you watch. It's not on you, but as you wait and watch, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my, my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth." In short, as you wait and watch for my return, be dependent upon the Spirit. You won't be left alone, but rather empowered by the Spirit of God so that you might live in faithfulness to the person and the commands of Jesus. So that's Acts 1. By Acts 3 in verses 16 through 21, we see the disciples get it. They understand that He will return. They won't know when it will occur, but the Lord will be faithful. Just as he was faithful to rise from the dead. Verse 12, Jesus begins to give the parable, in, which is simply an earthly story intended to teach an eternal truth. Therefore, he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then to return. He called ten of his servants, gave them ten minas, and told them, Engage in business until I come back. We're introduced to two characters in this story. A nobleman, which illustrates to us Jesus, and then ten servants, which illustrate to us disciples of Jesus. And the nobleman, who is becoming a king, is going off to receive authority to be king over this land that he already calls home. The kingship of the nobleman is the point here. It is not as if Jesus became the king of kings when he ascended to heaven. He's always been the king of kings, the eternal one. He's always existed. He is the king with all authority, and when he returns, he will demonstrate that authority through, through the rewarding of faithful believers and the judgment of unbelievers. Prior to the nobleman going away to become a king, he gives the same amount of money to each servant, one minna to each. And a minna was, was the amount of money equivalent to three to four months worth of wages. And his charge to each one was engage in business until I, until I come back put my money to work. Don't sit on it and do nothing. Don't be passive, but be active. Engage in business, meaning I expect to receive more money when I return. I expect that it will have grown. Here's an amount of money that has value and significance. Now, what will you do with it? Now, what will you do with it? The nobleman who will return as a king is saying, While I'm physically absent from you, live in a way that leads to results, that reveals that you have listened to my words and obeyed them. Then in verse 14, we're going to be introduced to the third character in this parable. The CSB translates to them subjects. These illustrate those people who have yet to trust in Jesus, illustrating people, both Jew and Gentile, who have rejected the kingship of Jesus in their life. Verse 14, but his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. So these subjects are not the servants who he entrusted money with. Again, they are disciples. They're not disciples of Jesus clearly because it says that they hate the king and they reject his ruling over them. And the noblemen did nothing to receive this rejection. It wasn't because he was harsh or evil It was because these people wanted to be their own kings and queens. They were unwilling to humbly come under the authority of the rightful king, the one with all authority. They chose to rebel against the king rather than receive the king in their life. Verse 15, at his return, having received the authority to be king, he summoned those servants he had given the money to so that he could find out how much they had made in business. At his return, the second coming of Jesus, his servants will give an account of the business that they have conducted in his absence. Have they been faithful with what what he has entrusted them with? Have they been people who have not only heard the word in his departure, but actually listened and obeyed? The nobleman's words had been, engage in business until I come back. And we will find that there is reward for faithfulness and there is reward for obedience to his word had the servants been faithful. And in the parable, instead of going through all 10 servants, he gives an example of three servants. Verses 16 and 17. The first came forward and and said, Master, your minna has earned 10 more minnas. Well done, good servant, he told him, because you have been faithful in a very small matter, have authority over 10 towns. The the first servant had a great return, a 1,000% took the one, turned it to ten. The little or the small that he had been given, he was faithful, and it leads to reward. He is now over ten towns. Jesus taught the same truth in Luke 16. This, this principle, be faithful in the little. He taught it in Luke 16 in the parable of the dishonest manager. And if you could bear with me, I just want to take like a two-minute Side note to talk about that principle in itself. This truth translates to so, much, so many different realms of life. If you want more responsibility and opportunity at, be, at work, be faithful in the little that you've been given now. In whatever sphere you're serving in, be faithful in that if you want it to expand. If you're dating or engaged, be faithful to the commands of Jesus now in the little It's what prepares you for the quote-unquote much of marriage. Be faithful to turn from temptation and sin in the not-yet-married stage. That's what prepares you to handle the weight and responsibility of being a Christ-like husband or wife in marriage. Be faithful in the waiting. See, we often wrongly have this logic of, well, I'll be faithful with more when I get more, whatever more is. When I get more money, more responsibility, more freedom. But it doesn't work that way. If you can't be faithful in the little, why would that change when you have more? So a quick side note, encouragement to you middle school and high school students. As you walk through those years, you will have a growing desire to have more freedom, more responsibility for choices and decisions. That desire in you is a good and godly desire. It means you're maturing It means you're not going to live in the basement and mooch off your parents for decades, okay? Praise God for that. But listen, the path toward more freedom and responsibility always starts in the little, meaning currently, are you joyfully and humbly living within the boundaries that your parents have set for you. In the little freedom that you have been given, are you faithful in that? If not, don't expect to get more freedom. Your parents are wrong to give you more freedom if you're not faithful in the little. Why do your parents restrict freedom? Why, are they, why do they set these boundaries? Why? One simple reason. They love you and are for you. Parents, you can amen anytime. You can, uh, hopefully, hopefully, you're elbowing your kid. No, hopefully, you're not because they love you and are for you. And immaturity paired with unlimited freedom leads to ungodly practices and places. When a person, not just a student, but when a person is led by the flesh and not the spirit, and then basically given no boundaries, what the Bible would tell us, Galatians 5 being an example, is that your flesh will crush you. Your flesh will crush you and enslave you. So your parents are for you and loving you, not wanting to lead you toward slavery, but actually toward freedom. My point is, and Jesus' point in verse 17 to the servant is, be faithful in the waiting, in the little. This is what the first servant was, and guess what it led to? Reward. Great responsibility. Loved ones, hear the words of Jesus here. A life of being devoted, an earthly life of being devoted to Jesus leads to an eternal life that is rewarded. Rewarded. Verse 18 and 19, the second came and said, Master, your minna, has, your, your minna has made five minnas. So he said to him, you will be over five towns. The second servant had a good return as well, 500%. And as a result of being obedient to his word, more responsibility is given to him. Verses 20 and 21, the last of the three servants comes forward and, and says this. Another came and said, Master, here is your minna. I kept it safe in a cloth. Because I was afraid of you, since you were a harsh man, you collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow. This servant has not engaged in business at all like the king charged him to. No return at all. The money did no good at all. And he excuses his disobedience by saying, Well, you're a harsh man. He doesn't sound like a harsh man, he sounds like a loving, rewarding man. He sounds like someone who who blesses those two servants prior to that. He also claims that basically the king didn't need his help. You're powerful enough to collect and reap what you didn't deposit or sow. But these excuses are, are not a justification for his disobedience. Verses 22 and 23, he told him, I will condemn you by what you've said, you evil servant. If you knew I was a harsh man collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, Why then didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. He's saying to the servant, If you thought I was harsh, then shouldn't that have motivated you to listen to my words and engage in business? And if you thought I was powerful, then again, shouldn't that have motivated you to listen to my words? It should have led to obedience, not disobedience. It should have led to activity in your life, not inactivity. In short, the servant didn't respond to the king's words. He didn't even, at bare minimum, put the the money in the bank to earn some interest. In reality, it's clear the servant didn't really understand who the king was. But he he rewards faithfulness and gives more when you've been faithful in the little. Each servant was entrusted with the same amount of money, each entrusted with something of great value. Brother and sister in Christ, you've been entrusted with the gospel. You've been given the spirit of God and the good news of Jesus not to sit on it and keep it in a cloth and so-called safe and protected, but you've been charged by the King of Kings to go, to make disciples of Jesus, starting with those closest with, to you. The gospel doesn't just need protected, it needs to be Proclaimed. And fellow members of the, of the body of Christ, you're a herald. You're a missionary for Jesus to show of His radical change in your life through your daily way of life, to tell of His power to bring about radical change in the salvation of those who you're praying for. We saw in Luke 13, verses 18 through 21, that the good news of Jesus is intended to go out to, to expand, to multiply. Starting small like a mustard seed or small like yeast, it expands. The kingdom of God can grow dramatically or it can grow gradually either way. It's always growing. It's always expanding. And it grows through servants who take the good news of Jesus, the truth of infinite value that you've been entrusted with and you show and tell of it. Where you take Jesus' words, His commands to go and make, and you take Him at face value and you live faithfully by them. In the parable, reward went to both the one who got 1,000% return and the one who got 500%. The point is not the percent earned, but what they did with it. Producing more money was not the end goal per se. It was rather, were you faithful to the king's words? Were you faithful to the king's words? Did you hear the words and did it lead to activity and obedience in your life? See, God is the one who does the saving of souls. He is the one who transforms the human heart. 1 Corinthians 3, he is the one who causes the growth. We are called to faithfully plant and water. And what the Apostle Paul says there is that each will receive his own reward according to his own labor of planting and watering. And whether the Lord is returning sooner or later, either way, Colossians 4 tells us God is the one who's opening the door so that we might proclaim Jesus making most of the time that we've been given using words full of grace, seasoned with salt. And listen, he hasn't left you alone to pursue gospel faithfulness in your own strength and power. That would be cruel. Remember, just like the early church received an Acts, the Lord continues to send his spirit to dwell in believers and empower them to live for Christ, empower them as heralds, missionaries, ambassadors. You have the spirit, you have his word, and listen, easily is important. You have one another in the family of God to spur you on, to encourage you, and for you to encourage them as we partner in this mission to show and tell. Verses 24 through 27, the rest of the parable. So he said to those standing there, take the minnow away from him, And give it to the one who has ten minutes. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minutes." I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. But bring here these enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. The servant who squandered the opportunity, who disregarded his commands, And word, the minna is taken away and given to the one who is faithful in the little. The one who has been proven faithful with the opportunities that the Lord has presented to them. And the one who has been unfaithful will be stripped of his responsibilities. And then verse 27 points us back to the king's condemnation and judgment to those people who rejected his authority. Rejected his rule in, in their life. Verse 27 again, but bring here these Enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. That is a horrifying, horrifying, sobering, tragic verse, and yet nonetheless true verse. Revealing the tragic consequences of entering eternity with an attitude that rejects the lordship, the good and loving rule of Jesus in your life. Philippians 2 tells us in the end, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Believers will do that in worship, in joy, and in rest. Unbelievers will do such bowing in great grief and regret. We've seen in our journey through Luke that Jesus spoke of hell often. Why? Here's the reason. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. He loved those who were listening to them in person. He loves those to you who are listening to this day. He's not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance, including you. You who think you've done too much for him to love love you and save you, and you who think you've not done enough for him to love you and save you. He's calling the broken, the shamed. He's calling the proud and the self-righteous. He's calling all to come to repentance to trust in him. Verse 27 is a clarion call to unbelievers, trust in Jesus today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to confess your sin, that that you need a Savior, and that Jesus is that that sufficient, all-sufficient, perfect Savior. Verse 27 is also motivation for believers for mission, is it not? This tragic reality should motivate us. The word slaughter should motivate us, compelling us by love to go. It should spur us as believers toward repentance ourselves, because in this life we never stop living in the posture of humble repentance. Verse 27 should shake us from an old creation, sinful drift. It should wake us to the brevity of life, that this life is but a vapor. It should wake us to the goodness of Jesus. And how do we see the goodness of Jesus in verse 27? We see the goodness of Jesus because here's the truth of the gospel. Jesus was slaughtered for you. He was slaughtered for you. He willingly laid down His life for you. Hebrews 12 tells us He joyfully, it says, joyfully endured the cross for you. One reason he loves you. He loves you. Because while we were still ungodly and rejecting his rule in our life, Jesus was laying down his life, proving his own love for us in this, the greatest demonstration of love in the history of humanity. The eternal King of Kings took on flesh, was tempted and tried in every way as we are, and yet was without sin. He humbled Himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. A crown of thorns was placed upon His head, mocking Him as a king. The Messiah of the world was sent in order to die and to rise, die for sin that He did not commit but that we had. And by His wounds, through faith alone, Scripture tells us by His wounds we are able to be healed. One day He will return, not with a crown of thorns of humility, But a crown of glory with all majesty, he will return as the conquering king, victorious over evil. Praise God for that reality, right? Victorious over evil, wrongs made right, judging the living and the dead. With Christ, there is no neutral position. We see that in this parable. What separates believer and unbeliever or faithful or unfaithful, rewarded in eternity or condemned in eternity? What's the difference that we see in this parable? Well, those who trust in Jesus and are saved, who joyfully, they're the ones who joyfully and humbly receive His good and loving authority in their life. And I want to keep emphasizing, I pray say good and loving authority. Those are my two descriptions every time I say the word authority probably because we have such an authority issue in our lives right now. And we have since Genesis 3. This is not new. His good and loving for you authority. Believers are those who hear His words and they respond in faith. Those who face judgment in eternity, those who reject His good and loving rule in their life. If we reject it in this earthly life, then why would we we expect it to be different in eternity? We shouldn't expect it to be different. And throughout the Gospel of Luke and throughout Scripture, it tells us it won't be different. That we will face his rejection in eternity if our posture in this life has been rejection as well. But as far as we know, in this moment, today is not the day of judgment, today is the day of salvation. So respond to his invitation, respond to His command to trust in him. Phil and Ryan, if you want to come back up, I want to leave just a, a couple minutes of a prayerful space for us. Sp- uh, space for us to pause, to, to repent where the Spirit is leading us to. Space for those who are not yet followers of Christ to trust in Him, to confess him as Lord, ask him to save you. He's faithful. To do that saving work. Brothers and sisters, where are you resisting repentance right now? Where are you resisting His, His good and loving authority and rule in your life? Where is there a has there been a callousness grown on your heart, or your spirit, that needs to be confessed, needs to be brought into the light today? First John 5, 1 through 4 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of Him. This is how we know that we love God's children, when we love God and obey His commands. For this is what love for God is, to keep His commands, and His commands are not a burden. His commands are not a burden, because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. So let's spend just a couple minutes of prayerful repentance, confession, thanking God for his grace, thanking Jesus for the good news that he was slaughtered and yet he rose again on the third day. And then we'll stand in worship. Jesus, do the work of tenderizing our hearts. Do the supernatural work of renewing our minds. give us a, a humble worshipful joyful spirit toward you you who the who came in the fullness of grace and truth thank you for the gospel thank you that the gospel of god's grace sets us free that we don't have to be ruled by our flesh we don't have to be ruled by an old creation way of life, we can be ruled by the Spirit of God that leads us toward fruit and freedom. Lord, may you sweep across this this local church family and bring about a sweet spirit of repentance and worship and joy and humility before you. May you save the lost. May the lost be found May heaven rejoice and celebrate today. May you strengthen and build your church. Deepen our faith in you. Thank you that you joyfully endure the cross. And you're seated now. You're no longer suffering. You overcame sin, the grave, and suffering. And thank you that we have hope in you. Living hope. That as we await your return, may you enable us to live faithfully for you. Faithfully to your word, to go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything that you have commanded. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are with us to the very end of this age. We worship you. We pray this in your name. Amen.